1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and member FDIC.
0: These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd ja on Score North and scorenorth.com. Reckless
1: speculation. Well, it's not Reckless Speculation Thursday, but it's the next best thing, which is Reckless Speculation Tuesday, which is a honorary branch off the coaching tree of Reckless Speculation Thursday. It's Judd, it's Darren Doogie Wilson, Channel 5 Eyewitness News and Scoop Podcast fame. Uh, Declan, of course, executive producing, as he always does as well. And Darren, let's uh, let's start here. So Do uh, Dofomensa and Kevin O'Connell last week do their end-of-the-season press conference on, I believe it was, Wednesday. Um, didn't tell us much. At the time, said they were... Deciding the fate of Ed Donatel, we all knew he was gone, and on Thursday indeed he was. Let's get into this though, because there is now as as we hit uh, the combine and then obviously the start of the league year, which is going to be incredibly interesting. There is a long list of potential veteran Vikings who could be ex-Vikings by the time the league year starts. Uh, what are you hearing? What's the best guess about a list that includes You know, Thielen, Kendricks, Harrison Smith, uh, I could go down, Dalvin Cook. I could go down a long list of guys who have been favorites here. Uh, They're going to have to be, I would say, with all due respect to these players, some very tough decisions made as far as trying to free up cap room and also just flat out get younger, more athletic, and faster.
0: Well, Judd, hi, Declan. Changes are coming. The question is how many changes? I just got off of Zoom with Joel Corey, former agent for John Randall, Ed McDaniel, yep. Chris Claiborne. He's now a media personality for CBS Sports. He has intimate knowledge of the salary cap. He has all the documentation from the NFLPA. So we went up and down the list of guys, I mean, just about everyone. We came to the conclusion Jordan Hicks is an easy one and done. You have the logical replacement in Brian Asamoah. Yep. Another logical move, if you look at Brian O'Neill's contract. They can restructure that to create immediate cap space. The way Joel laid it out, Judd, that one is incredibly logical. Like, I will be shocked if there's not something done with the Brian O'Neill contract. The other logical move is C.J. Ham. We love C.J., but a fallback just isn't used in this offense. I mean, at most, what was C.J. on the field? 10 snaps? 12 snaps? Maybe 18 to 20 here and there, but for the most part... T.J. Hamm is on the field in such limited capacity that you don't pay a fullback with a cap hit of over $3.5 million. The question then becomes, though, on an Adam Thielen, a Dalvin Cook, a Harrison Smith, an Eric Kendricks, does a restructure take place? How do they lower those cap numbers? I think it's logical to think Adam Thielen is not back next year under his current terms. I know what his wife put out on Instagram, Adam, my understanding... Feels like, hey, there's still more football there. In Adam's defense, because I know what the PFF numbers suggest, that he just doesn't create the separation like he once did. But in Adam's defense, I know that he was banged up a good portion of the year. But the Vikings need to ask themselves. It's an ongoing process. These are conversations that are taking place in Eagan. So I don't have any sort of definitive answer here on January 24th. But they're having a conversation like, hey, can Adam Thielen still create separation? Or is he completely cooked? Do we want Adam back even at a lesser number? Do we want him back in 2023? But we know that Adam Thielen won't be back under his current term. So if he's back, it's essentially a pay cut. We can talk, restructure, all that. But he would have to come back at a lesser number. Dalvin Cook is another interesting one. Now, if you trade him, there's still some dead money involved. What can you get in a trade? Joel threw out the Duke Johnson trade. From a couple of years ago, where Duke netted a third round pick. Judd, I would be shocked if the Vikings could get a third for Dalvin Cook. If they can get a third for Dalvin Cook, done deal. They will make that move. They will take the dead money cap hit, but also get some cap relief. I can see Eric Kendricks back. Harrison Smith, I just I subscribe to the to the thinking that Quasey realizes he didn't do the contract. You don't pay a safety that much money. So I think something is going to take place on the Harrison Smith front. I think Zedarius Smith, I know you guys have gone through the exercise back or not back. I don't know where you fall exactly, Judd, but some people have said one and done. You make the move on Zadarius. I guess I wouldn't be shocked if Zedarius is back. Now, I said on TV on Sunday, I would make the move, but I wouldn't be shocked, you know, just because I think that doesn't mean the Vikings agree. I wouldn't be shocked if Zadarius is back, then you have Daniil. Daniil's going to be looking for more money. If you trade him, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense based on the cap ramifications, but something needs to take place on Daniil when you look at how much money he is due next season. That, That logically, presumably, him, his representation, are going to ask for a raise. So I'm just telling you, Judd,
1: these are all questions that are taking place over in Egan right now. Super juicy, so on Hunter, do we sense that it's going to, to come uh, down to that because he 's going into the last year of his contract, no guaranteed uh, money left in that deal? Do we think that his representation is going to say that he 's not going to show up unless he gets an extension because i mean they've that 's been broached before, and there there were if i 'm not mistaken, there were two incidents with him contractually where it felt like it was going to get um, Get a little bit dicey, and in both cases, it did not. I would imagine at this point in time, though, I don't know the Vikings would be rushing to Daniil to do an extension as he gets closer to 30. Well, and you think
0: about what Nick Chubb got when he got moved by Denver to Miami. Look at that contract. That is the baseline for what Daniil would be seeking. I don't have the exact terms in front of me, but you can Google it, Nick Chubb, or not Nick Chubb, Bradley Chubb. Nick Bradley Chubb's Chubb, a good yeah. running back from Cleveland. Yep. Bradley Chubb, yep. you look at the number he got in that trade, You know, he got moved Denver to Miami, then Miami instantly worked out a new contract for Bradley Chubb. Maybe you're multitasking here, Judd, doing the quick Google. But yep. that would be a comp. So if you look at the money Miami gave Chubb, that could be something you would look at if you're Daniil, Daniil's representation. I don't have the answer on a holdout. Yes, it has been broached before, the idea. So it wouldn't shock me. But
1: I think bottom line is Daniel is going to look for a raise this offseason. Yeah, uh, Chubb, it looks like when, when he went to the Dolphins, got traded by the Broncos, agreed to a five year extension worth up to one hundred and nineteen million dollars. Here's the key thing, Dukes. sixty three point two million of that guaranteed. Um I just don't see the Vikings doing that that sort of thing for a guy that is still very good, but He missed two years effectively. And again, he's getting close to an age where I don't know that that makes sense. I'm like, I am so interested because it feels like 2022 was the year that the Wilfs prevailed on Quazy and Kevin to bring guys back and to sort of, you know, and we basically know for a fact, Ryan Poles didn't get the job because one, I I think he asked for too much as far as compensation went, but then importantly said, I want to tear things down. So Do Quasi and O'Connell now get to appeal to the Wilfs of, hey, I know that you love these players. We got 13 wins. That was great. But we need to move on from a large group of them because, you know, at some point in time, you you absolutely have to. And the clock is ticking on, to your point, what type of draft pick compensation you're going to eventually get back as these guys do age. And I think a guy like Kendricks now basically gets you – Nothing back and it's just going to be allowed to walk. So like there's a lot of questions here with the 13-win team about what the plan's going to be.
0: Well, I mean the 13 wins complicates things. Right. I mean, based on the negative point differential, they should have been nine and eight or eight and nine. Let's say they were eight and nine. Much easier to strip the thing down, right? Yep. but there just isn't proof that the Wilfs are ready to fully hit the reset button. But I'll reiterate, like, changes are coming. I just can't quite quantify exactly how many, how deep do those changes go? Plus, when you've got the quarterback with the no trade clause, with the full guarantee on the hook, it's hard to fully hit the reset button, right? And there just isn't proof that some sort of trade is going to take place. Now, I'm on record saying, you know, right now, as I read the tea leaves, I can see the Vikings just letting this cousin situation play itself out. But a lot of people, including those close to Kirk, imagine that a short-term extension is coming. He's played that game here going back years, that it's going to take place
1: again based on the success he had this year. What would, in this case, Duges, a short-term extension look like? Are, Are we talking about one that would now take him through 2024? Are we talking about trying to get a contract that would run two or three more years? Like what? Because... I guess my question is this, and we don't know this yet, but just to to, uh, recklessly speculate right now, you know, i got to think that there is a plan in place. At least the wheels have started to move on the Kirk succession plan, right? Like identifying college quarterbacks, I don't know. Perhaps a trade. Perhaps a trade for a guy like Trey Lance. But i got to think that there's almost a two-track plan here. One is, yes, Kirk is back, and Kirk might be back for two more years. That being said, eventually O'Connell especially has to get his guy to develop him. The cheaper, the better. And so, like, I would love to know where, where this whole thing is going and, like, how far down the road are they in having almost a two-tier plan, one involving Kirk but the other replacing Kirk?
0: What proof is there that Kirk would take a pay cut? So if none. you look at his money, what is it, $35 million? There's none, right? So none. I'm not saying he's looking for significantly more. But there just isn't proof that he's willing to go backwards. So if you look at the number he's currently at, is it 35, 35-1, 35-2? Maybe you have the exact number in front of you, Judd. Yep. The point is, I would fully expect him to ask for more. Until I hear otherwise, see otherwise, he's going to seek more money. I thought that they would look for a quarterback 2024 draft one year from now. Not necessarily this draft, but if there's a guy, I'm not necessarily going to rule it out. I still think at 23, you go either corner, pass rusher, or wide receiver. Now, it's a pretty deep cornerback draft. It's a pretty deep edge rusher draft. Maybe not as deep wide receiver draft. So if you're looking at a wide receiver, maybe receiver at 23 makes a bit more sense. No second round pick. I would do the TJ Hawkinson trade again but you don't have your second that's another thing to keep an eye on as you look to you know create some 2023 cap space they want to sign tj hawkinson to an extension now what's the baseline on that like george kittle but that was a couple years ago so what is a good number on Hawk? i don't see the miami guy gasecki or the dallas guy schultz They're not as good as Hawkinson, so I'm not quite sure those contracts will be good comps, but you're probably looking at something like $15 per, something like that. Mm -hmm. But you can lower his 2023 cap number, so that's another thing I keep an eye on. And another thing that we'll have to watch is when does the Justin Jefferson extension take place? It will take place. It's a matter of when, not if. Joel told me it's in the Vikings' best interest. To do the deal before the Nick Bosa deal in San Francisco. Because the Jefferson camp is going to push to make him the highest paid non-quarterback. Not only the highest paid wide receiver, but the highest paid non-quarterback. Yep. So it would behoove the Vikings to do that deal before Nick Bosa gets that contract. Because Nick Bosa in San Francisco is going to sign a contract that will make him the highest paid defensive lineman. And in all likelihood, the highest-paid non-quarterback. So it would be smart for the Vikings to do the
1: Jefferson deal before the Niners do the Bosa deal. On Jefferson, Dukes, there is absolutely no reason not to get that done ASAP. Like, I don't see any – it's a win-win-win. So, like, there is no – this to me is not – like, there's going to be talks and and, and, uh, different uh, submissions of ideas from both sides, I get that. But this should not be a contentious one. Like, he's going to get that. Uh, he's worth it, and the the reality though. So you you just hit on it, the key thing though. It's Kirk, because Kirk in two thousand twenty two his cap hit. So I don't care what his salary is. We care about his cap hit. His cap hit was thirty one point four million dollars this past year, which accounted for fifteen percent of the Vikings' cap. Next season, in what could right now be the last season of his contract, the cap hit spikes up to thirty six point three million dollars. That's sixteen point four percent. Of his cap. When the Jefferson contract kicks in in a couple of years, you can't have your quarterback making that much. So, like, that's where uh, if the Cousins camp is like, yeah, let's do a short term extension, but let's do a three year short term extension, you've run into a problem now because I'm rewarding Jefferson, eventually Darisaw, a- and I can't afford to pay my quarterback with those contracts going at the same time than potentially anything near that much the cap which is again why o'connell needs to have a plan to find his own guy well and
0: i'm sure there is internally some sort of plan like they're not looking at this completely naked now when you say cousins here in 23 will eat up what did you say a little over 16 of the cap is that based on a 225 million dollar cap yeah that's the based cap's on... going up right but we don't have the set number but are you doing
1: that based? I think on it's a twenty-five. No, I think it's I, I think it's over the cap's projection of of what the cap is going to be. It's going to be substantial. Well, I know is that two hundred and
0: twenty-five million or is it? No, I think to it's above that twenty-three million or it's I, above that. I think it's okay. a little above that. All right, because Joel told me, for what it's worth, he's operating as if it will be two hundred and twenty-five million. Okay. Now thereafter, it's going to go up even higher, right? Twenty-four yes. and twenty-five, but for twenty-three, there's a projection at least based on this expert, $225 So if over the cap is doing it based on projections higher than that, Cousins could ultimately be eating up closer to 17 or 18% of the cap. Mm -hmm. That's why I just wonder if they just let this thing play out. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, when it comes to the Jefferson extension, you're right, hopefully it doesn't get contentious. You know, now there's not a whole lot of proof of guys getting the extension, the big money extension, after a third year. I mean, outside of Kyler Murray, if you go back to the 2019 draft, he's the only one. If you go back other years, it's pretty rare for a guy to get the big money after year three. But it's also rare to put up the numbers that Justin has put up Correct. in his first three years. I mean, that's Correct. Jerry Rice territory. That's Randy Moss territory. He's in a different stratosphere. So I'm with you. You take care of him sooner rather than
1: later. Yeah, and just to to uh, go, go back, that that was actually the uh, 2023 I gave you was 225. So that 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 was 16 percent, 16 plus percent of the cap for Cousins on 225. So that's probably fair. That's probably it is. Fair. I just, I just, you know. I can't wait to hear if
0: I do. You know, as much background as possible on how those negotiations go or those talks, if the negotiations go nowhere, but the dialogue, the Cousins camp. The Vikings front office because I'm just telling you, there's an expectation from a couple people close to Kirk that an extension is coming. I can't, though, quantify right now where Quasi stands, where Kevin stands on that front. But I'm just
1: fascinated to see how it plays out. All right, good stuff. On to the Twins. Um, they finally did the Zolgad plan. I've been telling them for years. Get a center fielder who's a 1B to Buxton because Buxton is going to sit. He's going to DH at times, and he's probably, unfortunately, going to get get hurt. Michael A. Taylor, to me, is a really good trade. I know he doesn't bring a big bat, but I think he brings in a guy who's going to be really good, gold glove, outfielder type of player, and he's serviceable enough that I think this gives you a far better solution than, let's say, Celestino or a J.K. I agree. Now, the Athletic was the first
0: to report last week of the Royals initially asking for Josh Winder. I would not have done Winder for Taylor. And the Twins turned that down. I can add to that reporting that the Royals also asked for a couple other pitchers. So if you look at the Twins farm system, think of some guys that maybe have pitched in the majors a little bit, maybe earmarked more for AAA St. Paul. Trust me. Like the twins did a good job negotiating this thing down to the two arms they gave up because the royals were certainly aiming higher. I'm with you. I mean, Taylor is certainly serviceable enough. I mean, he can run, the twins don't steal any bases anymore. But if he can get on base, he can steal a base, and the defense is legit. He's also in a contract year, right? Last year of arbitration at four and a half million dollars. That's a reasonable number for a guy that will certainly get enough at bats. I mean, if you want to call him a fourth outfielder, fine, but there's going to be a number of games where Buxton is the DH, Taylor is the center fielder. So I mean he's going to get enough at bats. Enough guys are motivated being in a contract year. So yeah, shrewd move. That is a really good move. He wasn't the only guy they called on. They called on the guy in Oakland, Loriano. I think that's yeah. how you say his name, Ramon. Yeah. And oh, you know, sure. he's a little bit more higher end. Like I wouldn't look at him as, as a fourth outfielder type, but Oakland, like, if you look at the history, this Twins front office with the A's, I mean, the Twins have checked in on a number of Oakland A's over the years, right? Montes and, and some other guys. Mania, before he was moved. Like, I just, my senses, the Twins have a hard time negotiating trades with the Oakland A's. So I'm not surprised that Ramon L. wasn't wasn't a guy that, that they ended up with. But yeah, I mean, to, to
1: get Taylor, thumbs up. I mean, that to me is a good move. All right, sir. Take a bow because I think it was two months ago that you first broached the fact that Arise was being shopped by the Twins potentially for a pitching. I believe shortly after that, you introduced the fact that the Twins had earmarked Pablo Lopez as a target in an Arise trade. And last week, you didn't get a credit, but last week it came to fruition. First of all, take a bow. Second of all, um what are your thoughts now that the trade is complete the twins getting a couple of teenage prospects and lopez back for the guy who is the reigning american league batting champion
0: yeah i mean no reason to take a bow i mean oh, i on. hear a lot of names doing what i do right and so i'm reluctant at times to throw out a bunch of names because you know 95 percent of trades that are talked about don't actually come to fruition that's across all professional sports but yeah, I mean, I think I first volunteered the name Pablo Lopez, knowing that there was enough twins in trap in early December. And it took all the way until mid-January for the trade to actually take place. There's concern, right? I mean, Royce's brought this up. I'm sure he brought it up on Royce Unchained about Lopez's shoulder history. But in 22, he was really, really good. He's going to help. Now, I would have aimed a bit higher for a rise, and heck, I wouldn't dismiss that the Twins tried to aim higher. Whether it was with Arizona in Gallon talks, you know, maybe Corbin Burns with the Brewers, you know, some other guys that that are, you know, close to free agency or playing for a team that maybe isn't quite near the level of contention. Right. So, you know, the twins, you know, certainly planted enough seeds. Pablo was about as good as they could do for a rise. I mean, there's still some concerns about Arise's injury history. Heck, that goes back to him tearing his ACL in the minor leagues. I mean, if you go back to 2016 or 2017, Arise has missed a bunch of games, a bunch of different seasons. So there's some concern there. But you have to give to get. I will tell you, the shortstop the Twins got in this deal, the minor leaguer, there's a pretty high ceiling. And if it's not with the Twins, that's an additional trade chip they acquired. So to get that kid, and I checked with somebody I know at the Miami Marlins, they tell me great kid. So in addition to what you see on the field, he's got a baseball pedigree background big time with uncles and dad. And his younger brother just signed one of the richest international free agent deals in history. I believe he landed a catcher with the Padres. It doesn't matter who he landed with. But his younger brother just signed for millions upon millions of dollars. So you think about that baseball lineage, that baseball family, that shortstop is a highly touted prospect. So that was the key, right? When you only have two years of Lopez control, the Marlins have three years of rise control. They had to meet in the middle, right? They had to make up that difference, I guess, is a better way of putting it. So the Twins get these two prospects. The outfielder, who knows? I mean, that's years away if he ever cracks the big leagues, but I can just tell you just from the Midwest League, some people that have scouted this shortstop, the feedback is pretty darn good. I went on record saying, and it was partly because I knew the Twins wouldn't do the one for one, Judd. The Twins were not going to do a ride straight up for Lopez. They needed something else because of the years of control. I think this was a pretty good meet in the middle. And, you know, depending on what you think of the
1: shortstop, you can certainly make a case this trade is a win for the Twins. What's next? Max Kepler gone here? I like what's because it, it feels like it feels like they're not done yet. Um and we they you know th- these guys have certainly with Falvey in charge showed a willingness to make trades deep into spring training. So what do you think is the next move or the next potential move for Falvey and the Twins?
0: Well, I mean, I will tell you, nothing is close on Max Kepler. I'm not dismissing the possibility. In fact, I've been saying going back to November, a couple of people close to Max anticipate a trade. Those people are now a little bit more lukewarm on that possibility, but certainly the twins are not married to Max Kepler. If the right opportunity presents itself, some of these teams that missed out on some of these outfielders like Conforto, like I know the Tampa Bay Rays have interest in Kepler. Heck, the Marlins had some interest in Kepler. The Texas Rangers Interest in Kepler. The Rockies, who have done pretty much nothing this offseason, have kicked the tires on Kepler. We know the Yankees have registered some level of interest in Kepler. Not sure if you want to help the Yankees, depending on what you think of Kepler with you know the shift ban and all that, if if that will aid him here in twenty twenty three. But I can just tell you, as we sit here on January twenty fourth, my understanding is, you know, now, hey, all it takes is one new phone call. A new phone call could take place in four hours things ramp up. But as I sit here on January 24th at 1244 Central time, nothing is remotely close on a Max Kepler trade. But I'm just saying, like, would it shock me if it happens in February or even in early March once they're down, you know, in the heart of spring training games in Fort Myers? Sure, I'm not I'm not dismissing that possibility. The question I get a lot, Judd, is on what's next. Will the Twins bring back Michael Fulmer? Now, there's a few good relievers still on the market, but Fulmer is one of them. Now, we can debate how good, you know, good is is debatable. That's subjective, but we can have that conversation. But I think Michael Fulmer would help this bullpen, right? So Derek Falvey told me on December 20th, I went back and checked. He told me on December 20th, after the Joey Gallo introductory press gathering, that yes, he went on the record, Falvey did, saying, we do have interest in re-signing Michael Fulmer. I can tell you, as of last night, as of January 23rd, crickets on actual dialogue. But all that takes is one phone call. If the Twins make one phone call, offer a decent one-year deal, Fulmer is interested in returning, but there just hasn't been actual dialogue, the Fulmer camp and the Twins. But that would be at least one possibility I would keep an eye on. If not Fulmer, maybe a different reliever. But I've checked on some of the best remaining relievers, the Brad Hands of the World, former Cheska High School star. There just yeah. there hasn't been anything going on with the Twins. But that would be what I would keep an eye on, the possibility of the Twins adding a reliever.
1: With Taylor here now, um, to back up Buxton, is Gallo strictly going to be first base right field? And if so, where where do you think he, he ultimately plays more? Does that just depend on if Kirloff can, can play? If Kirloff plays, he's the first baseman. Gallo probably plays right, correct? Well, yeah. I mean, Gallo is a
0: gold glove outfielder. He can play. You look at that body profile. He absolutely can play first base, but he really hasn't played much first base going back years. But based on the conversations we had with Joey, with Derek on December 20th, they threw out that possibility. So the fact that the Twins are referencing we may use Gallo at first base, I would say that's very much on the radar because We can hear all these great reports about Kirilov doing well in his recovery, but that was such a serious wrist surgery. You know, until we see him down in Fort Myers, we won't have this great sense. But yes, in an ideal world, sure, you would have opening day Kirilov at first base, Miranda at third base. If you keep Kepler, you probably have Kepler in right, Gallo in left, right? So a lot of it depends on... What takes place with Kepler? Gallo does have that flexibility. Really, he can play all three outfield spots. Now, with Taylor in the mix, I don't think we'll see much of Joey in center field. Of course, with Byron as well. So we're looking at a corner outfielder. But he can play all three outfield spots. But the fact that the Twins brought up first base as a possibility, I can't dismiss it. I'm just saying he really hasn't played much first base going back years. Interesting. Interesting.
1: All right. Last thing, Dukes. Uh, the NBA trade deadline approaching quickly. The Timberwolves remain as weird as can possibly be. They win two. They lose to a terrible Rockets team last night. Uh, w- what have you heard about Wolves' potential moves as the deadline nears? And then, I guess, also, where do we stand with Carl Anthony Towns? Since I asked that Well, week.
0: so yeah, Carl Anthony. You know, I've been saying for weeks it's going to be a while. I couldn't quantify exactly what a while exactly meant, but we weren't looking at January, unfortunately, right? I mean, I thought initially he would be back this month. He's not going to be back this month. He went on his Twitch, his video account, over the weekend, and he finally told us what the heck is going on. It's not a grade one or even a grade two. It's actually a grade three calf strain. That's the most serious calf strain you can get. That is typically, well, sometimes you need surgery. He does not need surgery, but the recovery is closer to 12 weeks. So, you may have the exact date he went down. Was it mid to late November in the game in Washington? But three months puts us into February. So, I still anticipate he's going to be back at some point this year, that this is not a season-ending injury, but he's not close. Now, I will tell you on Jordan McLaughlin, he is getting close. I can give you a timeline. That it's closer to two weeks, could be three. It's longer than a week, but he's not a month away. Like there would have to be a setback for him to be out another month. Okay. So Jordan McLaughlin, who did some pregame work on the court last night in Houston, he is getting closer. So that is the good news on the injury front. That Jordan is closer, but Cat, we're still looking at multiple weeks. But he is doing some work on the court. He's been doing some boxing work off the court, so he's able to move just not moved to the point of being able to play actual NBA games, the stress that that puts on your calf. It's a very easy injury to re-injure. So Cat is going to play the safe game on this, but I still anticipate him being back before the end of the year, but just not close. On the trade deadline, February 9th, sure, Tim Connolly is having dialogue. You know, they're getting a bunch of inquiries on Nas Reed. I saw Kevin O'Connor, my buddy from The Ringer, volunteer that the Nets now have inquired. There's a report from Hoops Hype that the Nuggets and Clippers have inquired. I will tell you, I've checked with two people at the Nuggets. They told me that's news to them. Doesn't mean that maybe the Nuggets eventually show some interest. And I will add, on Nas Reed, the Wolves are continuing to try and extend him. In an ideal world, they don't trade him. They extend him. But if you're Nas, you have every incentive to hit unrestricted free agency this summer. Let half the league bid on you right, or a little less than half the league will have cap space, there would be multiple teams in on Nas Reed. So if I'm Nas Reed, his representation, there's no reason unless the Wolves are going to break the bank and there's no proof that they will. If I'm Nas Reed, if I'm his representation, I am hitting unrestricted free agency in July. But I can tell you the Wolves are still going to make another push here. They've been trying to make a push here going back weeks. I've never sensed anything was close, but they're going to try to push to continue to get an extension done with Nasri, but he's a popular trade target. Torian Prince is another guy the Wolves are getting calls on. Judd, we saw again last night how important Torian Prince is. The Wolves are now four and seventeen when Torian Prince doesn't play. Not that that's an excuse. The officiating last night too was as bad as it gets both ways. Like Judd, that was as poorly. I'm trying to avoid hyperbole. That was as bad an officiated game as I can remember. That's how pathetic. The officials were last night, both ways. That's not why the Wolves lost, but the officiating was horrendous last night, but the Rockets were down Porter, Jabari Smith. Like they were down a couple pretty good players yet still found a way. The Wolves just cannot contain Jalen green, but like the Wolves missed Torian Prince, but he's another guy with a non-guaranteed deal next year. Why Torian Prince's representation accepted that deal. Now, ultimately it's the player who says, yes, I'll accept that deal. So, why Torian accepted the deal he accepted in June is beyond me. Like, he should have hit unrestricted free agency. He could have made more money on the open market. He's a really good player. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's that's another conversation for a different day. But just the Wolves got Prince on a sweetheart deal. So the league realizes that. So the league has been making calls on Torian Prince. I know there's a lot of national steam on D'Angelo Russell. I've been saying for weeks that I anticipate D'Angelo Russell being here, not elsewhere. On February 10th not to say that there's not a possibility like if Tim Connolly wanted to extend him he would have by now right so you know whether it's a sign and trade in the summer or here at the deadline you know I'm not quite sure I see D'Angelo Russell here next year now to his credit he has shot the ball incredibly well going back six weeks D'Angelo Russell has never shot the ball like this in his career so let's give D'Angelo Russell credit for his shooting numbers going back to early December he deserves credit that but i'm just saying if tim connelly wanted to extend him it would have taken place by now so that's why i think something is going to happen i just think maybe more so in the summer not now i just i haven't heard of teams in the league having genuine interest in trading for d'angelo russell awesome stuff dukes we'll talk to you thursday okay okay sounds good boys take it easy